0: Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve.
1: Hey. Welcome to this meeting of Sexaholics Anonymous. My name is Chris from San Antonio, and I will be your facilitator along with Tamo for this session. I'm joined by... I'm Tamo Sexaholic. From Amsterdam, Netherlands. The name of this meeting is Disclosure Issues. Please take a moment to silence all electronic devices. If you need to use yours during this meeting, please take it outside. We ask that you not make any personal recordings of this or any meeting. Please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can. And wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. In the spirit of carrying the essay message, this message, this meeting is being broadcasted live on the internet and is also being recorded. If you are not, if you are not sure that your share will be appropriate or on topic, please participate simply by listening. The broadcast and recording equipment will not be turned off for any reason. If you wish to share. Please speak directly into the microphone so everyone listening can follow you. If you wish not to be recorded, we invite you to participate by listening or attending another session. Please do not touch any of the recording equipment. All right. We will each share uh, our experience about disclosure for about 10 minutes, and then we will leave 25 to 30 minutes for sharing and closing announcements. And so demo was listed first on the... Okay.
2: Um, I'm Tom sexaholic. Sobriety date, January 12, 2011. Uh, It's great to be here. I'd like to start with reading a part of the white book. Uh, It's uh, from To the Newcomer. It's uh, a caution. Uh, We suggest that newcomers, Do Sexholics Anonymous not reveal their sexual past to a spouse or family member who does not already know of it, without careful consideration and appearance of sexual sobriety? And even then, only after prior discussion with an essay sponsor or group. Typically, when we come into the program, we want to share our excitement with those closest to us and tell all right away. Such disclosures might injure our family or others. And then it goes on to say, few, da- few things can so damage the possibility of healing in the family as a premature confession to spouse or family where sacred bonds of trust have been violated. Unwittingly, such confessions can be attempts on our part to dump our guilt, get back into good graces, or make just another show of willpower. Great caution is advised here. Um, yeah, when I got into the program, um, I was divorced. I had a son. Uh, I was at the time 10 years old, so I think I it's very clear that if you were acting out all the time, it was damaging to my son, because I was like when I was with him, I was all the time like scanning and not being attentive to him. So he was, yeah, he wasn't getting the emotional connection and the the, the nurturing he needed. And um, and then I got into recovery, and I had all this time to spend on recovery, go to meetings. Uh, take phone calls, receive phone calls. Um, so I started asking old timers what to do about the situation with my son, and an old timer suggested that I simply tell him. I was sober then, I, was, uh, I think I was a year sober, and I had worked the steps, and he said, well, tell him, because for him it will be clear why you are picking up the phone. That is not that you're not paying attention to him. Uh, that you just need to do this for yourself, and also that you're trying to get well so you can be a better father for him. Um, so I heard that and I thought, wow, this this is hard. I felt very hard to go to my son and just look him in the eye and tell him, uh, uh, yeah, look, uh, this is what's going on. So, but I was willing. And uh, when he was at my house, I was divorced, so uh, I would take care of him a couple of days a week. And when he was there, um, yeah, I still remember him sitting on the couch and me on the chair and um, just like saying, well, you know, I got to tell you something. And uh, I told him I was a sexaholic. That meant I had to go to meetings. That meant that uh, I had to pick up the phone a lot and that uh, it had nothing to do with him. That I was aware that I had been a, a father who was was unattentive, who, who hadn't been there enough for him, and that he deserved a better father, and that I was working on that. So it was also part of men's. And um, it was very scary to do. I prayed, I prayed, and I did it. And his response was very positive. Um, I don't know if he was really codependent, <laughs> but he, he was very, like, uh, uh open in it, and very just like it was normal. Like it was normal that your father said something like that, and... Um, so we will. We, I told him he was okay with it. He said no problem. I understand. So and the advantage was from that that day on, I could tell him, look, uh, we I know we're here to zoo, but I got this call coming. Are you okay that I take it or I have to take it? So that was a real help. And um, over the years, uh, he really got his issues, and he he became sick himself. He got some mental problems. He got some addiction problems. And it was very helpful then that we could really share. So I could really talk to him about my stuff, what worked for me, and it was like a bit like a newcomer, that we could really relate. So it, it helped to keep open the relationship with my son, and starting my amends to him by trying to be there for him and by, and by being a good father. Um, when I got into recovery, I, I yeah I also had a mother then, she was at the time I think 75. And I had not talked to her for, I think, two years. And I hadn't seen her for two years. Because I was just, yeah, I was gone in a way, you know. I was gone into the addiction. So one of the first things I was told to do was, yeah, go see my mother, uh, have, a, have, a, just meet with her again, and I, I make an amend to tell her I was sorry that I did. It was my disease. And that I, from then on, wanted to be a good son. And, and that, that started my living amends to my mother. And from then on, I, I regularly called, and I regularly visited her, and when she got older and really sick, I visited each week, and, um, yeah, what used to be a very difficult relationship became a good relationship. So I would sit there, and at, at the end, I would just hold her hand, read something, and it, it got very, very close. But I never told her the details about my disease, because in a way, um... Yeah, it didn't felt like I needed to do it for her. That it, that it would add something to her life. So she knew I had problems. She knew I struggled. She knew I still I got help, and she saw me getting better. Um, but with her, I never shared, and I, it wasn't suggested to me to do that. And then my wife, um, I met her when when I was in the disease. So at the time, I was still um, I was in other programs, but I was still acting out in this one. And um, at the time I met her, I was like dating four or five other women, or I was having relationships with them. And then I met her, and after a few weeks, I felt like something inside me said to go for her. So uh, uh it became a steady relationship, and I told her very quickly that I was in SA, and that I uh, was trying to get healthy, and, um, yeah, that I was working a program, I needed to because I was going to meetings a lot and, uh, and she was okay with that. She said, well, you know, I've always dated sexaholics only they never told me that they were, you know, so in a way she, she said that this is a step up. And <laughs> <laughs> this is one who is uh, out front, he's honest. And, um, yeah, I tried to be honest with her and, um, uh, yeah, but I was still getting into recovery in SA at that point. I was still in denial about the power of lust. That they say it's a disease of lust. So and basically, I was still not really sober. In the beginning, without knowing it. So at some point, I think after a year that we knew each other, uh, I did this first step with my sponsor, and I read some things to him, and he asked me, you know, uh, he said, "Well, how would you call a person?" Or he asked me how I was doing in my in my in my in my life, and and I told him, and he said, "How would you call a person that is that that is telling you this?" And I said, "Uh, yeah, I think that guy is drunk, and for me, that was a big relief a revelation because I thought, yeah, I'm just drunk on lust, you know I was fantasizing, I was objectifying my wife, I was even trying to groom her for some acting out so and but and my denial was i was not I was not uh being adulterous, I was not watching pornography, but to 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 see that moment was like oh yeah i'm I'm drunk, so then um I started working the steps more on lust, also on lust in the marriage. Um, and then what happened was a classical thing. I think many, uh, many more people have experienced this, that I call this guy in the States, because my sponsor recommended I call him. So I started writing a first step on lust, also lust in my marriage, on my computer. And, uh, <laughs> 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 so the computer is in our house. And my wife was is an ethanol and still was then an ethanol. So she found that first step. And um, yeah, when she found it, she was, let's say, she was not pleased. Because she could, re- re- yeah, there was written about her that I was basically objectifying her, that I was lusting after her. So that was a, like a big crisis moment in our marriage, where uh, she completely shut down emotionally. She was very angry with me. With me. and yeah like I was taught then, just to try to show her love and tolerance, and so not to manipulate her, which was one of my big things that I would always try to get her to change her mood so that I would get the approval i I needed, I deserved, but just to let her be, and um, yeah, just try to be a good husband and go on from there and and just bear, just bear it out because he was not talking to me. She was ignoring me. Uh, she was sleeping in another room. Uh, and there was no... I had no idea what was going to happen to our marriage, right? So I had to completely surrender the marriage again to to God and just try to do my part. Um, yeah. Be humble in that way and n- not tell her to go work her program, but just, you know, work mine. And yeah, after a few weeks, she started speaking to me again. And... Um, yeah we went from there and yeah things got better and things have been going better yeah over the time more and more better um, and um, but my experience with my wife is that I don't share all my lust or if I have a bad day that I've scanned on the street or I had to, I had to either recall I don't share it I share it with my second partner I share it with my sponsor I work my program on it, uh, I take responsibility and try to work on, uh, yeah, getting my egg together. And yeah, that's, we've been now together, uh sober seven years, and yeah, it's not all, uh, how you say it in English, uh, a piece of cake, <laughs> but it's much better than it was, like we used to have regular periods where we would have fights for weeks. And now they only last a few hours. You know that, that something happens. My wife gets angry, or I, act selfishly, my wife gets angry, and uh, yeah, we can let go of it sooner. And I think that has a lot to do with being sober from lust, because when I lust, I tend to, my, 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 yeah, I can be easily very selfish or self-obsessed. So if I, but if I lust, I'm, I'm completely selfish and self-obsessed. So then my actions will be also more selfish and self-obsessed. And, uh, then we easily get into fights. And now, I still can be easily selfish, but it's much less. And, um, yeah, we get back, get on the same level again. Uh, so I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And also, um, yeah, I think that's, oh yeah, my brother. I also have a brother and I also told him because he has children. He has, uh, uh, he had young children at the time and it was also good for me just to be honest with him. Also, to, to be clear, uh, uh, it's also, also part of an amend. And that relationship has also uh, improved. So, um, yeah, I think that's sort of my experience with disclosure. And it's like there's many things in recovery, right? The thing that I do or have to do, because my sponsor tells me to do, is usually exactly the opposite of what I want to do from my own thinking. And But if I do it, I experience that that's exactly the thing I needed to do. So... That's my experience. Thank
3: you.
1: I'm Chris. I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Chris. Uh, I am speaking from my experience, strength, and my hope. My talk was written down so that I do not go off topic, so forgive me for not establishing eye contact with you. It would be better if I just stay on topic, so I'm just going to read from it. Uh, who am I? This is my experience. I am. A classic sex addict, I was molested when I was 12 and I was sexualized a little bit before then. I had chronic masturbation to magazine porn, collector of magazines, discarding them, swearing them off from ever doing it again, and then doing it again. This progressed to internet images and then videos, escalating to massage parlors, escorts, multiple affairs, strip clubs. The double life I created required financial trickery and cover-up, lying repeatedly to my wife, blaming her for the lack of connection and intimacy in our relationship, gaslighting her by telling her time and time again there was nothing going on when there was, and lying in couples counseling sessions about not having affairs, putting her down in front of our children so that I would appear better, objectifying women in front of my five sons, lying to them and my wife about my time and whereabouts, flirting with other women and joking frequently with others about sex. Uh, From page uh, five, the introduction, the problem, our habit made true intimacy impossible. We could never know real union with another because we were addicted to the unreal, describes me. All of this escalated to a point five and a half years ago when my wife found my second secret phone. And what did she do? She copied all the texts. She looked up the phone numbers. She discovered affairs and massage partners. And she found texts to affair partners that declared love. This caused her deep pain, shook her to the core, and yet provided some relief to know that she was not at fault for the collapse of our relationship. I was. And I was everything that she did not want to be married to. She felt hurt by the loss of a friend that she thought she knew betrayal of a commitment that she had faithfully kept, embarrassment in knowing a secret life about me that others could not begin to understand, and deep loneliness in knowing that sharing her pain would not be understood by family and friends. She packed our children up for camp, and one week after finding my phone, calmly informed me of her discovery of the phone and the need for a divorce. She told me that she thought I might be a sex addict. She was clear in telling me that she hoped I would get help. She was clear in telling me that this was my problem, not hers. She was going to the coast to stay with her mother for a few weeks to give me time to move out. She told me not to call. So what was my experience at that point? Well, I was shell-shocked, mad at myself for losing track of my phone, horrified at discovery, anxious that she would tell my family and business associates, and, of course, being a sex addict, I was angry at her. That was the way I was wired. Damn it, she found the phone and had caused me a lot of problems that I was going to have to deal with. I denied some things, admitted some things, lied about others, panicked, and knew that if she found the phone, she knew everything. Within a few minutes of her broaching the topic, I was crying, begging for forgiveness. She was unaffected by my tears. She was quiet, and she was in deep pain herself. She honestly stated that she hoped I would get help, she left for the coast. Here's what I did within a week. I bought myself a new wedding ring and I started wearing it. I started going to essay meetings and agreed that I needed to go to any lengths to get sexually sober, especially if I wanted our relationship to survive. I started seeing a certified sex addiction therapist. I started reading about sex addiction, thinking that if I went to meetings, saw a therapist, and learned more, I could master this. The more I went to meetings, the more I believed that I could become sober. And certainly, that is the importance of this fellowship and the blessing that is found in Sexaholics Anonymous. I would get better. That is the strength of this program of action that is the 12 steps of SA. But what about our relationship? I told Karen about my plans of going to meetings, seeing a CSAT, and reading about SA, Sexaholics Anonymous. Karen searched for a solution for us and discovered a three-day marriage intensive offered by Milton Magnus in Houston and told me I should look into it. I was confused by her doing the research to find another therapist. Here she was talking divorce, but also telling me about a three-day marriage intensive. My thinking was foggy. I'm going to meetings. I'm learning about this addiction. I'm working on me. What more do you want? At that time, I really only vaguely was aware that what she hoped for was healing for me, but also healing for us and for our relationship. Since I had agreed to go to any lengths, I agreed to the intensive. The intensive, which we scheduled for two months after Karen's discovery, included a therapist-guided disclosure and the opportunity to take a polygraph exam to confirm the accuracy and completeness of the disclosure. The therapist wisely required a commitment by me to attend at least two 12-step meetings per week during the two months leading up to the intensive. I did more than that. He also required that I do not make any trickle-out or partial disclosures to Karen prior to the intensive, even if I felt overwhelmed with the desire to confess. He said doing so would be selfish and not helpful to my wife in the long run. Karen trusted in the therapist process. Did not ask me for additional information prior to the intensive. I prepared my disclosure, which resembled my first step. In it was a chronological list of all of my sexual acting out behaviors from childhood through adolescence and young adulthood to the present. Rigorous honesty was employed. I worked with the therapist to delete extraneous details that could be unnecessarily traumatizing to Karen and to include all acting out behaviors that placed her in direct danger, such as unprotected sex and behaviors that put my career, and therefore our finances and her well-being, in jeopardy. I read the disclosure to Karen on the first day of the intensive. It brought up shame and guilt in me that was powerfully humiliating. But as I watched Karen through the delivery of the disclosure, I was painfully aware that I was causing her tremendous pain. Trusting in the process, I hoped that the therapeutic disclosure environment in the hands of a skilled therapist would go well. That night was cold and disconnected between us. I slept on the floor, but I was grateful to be in the same room. The next morning, I took my polygraph exam and I passed. But this was a turning point for me. My life of dishonesty was over for good. The important point that the lie detector test established for me and for my wife was that for once, I was being honest completely with myself and with her. The Disclosure Weekend began our recovery on a healing path early on in our journey. It did not provide immediate healing. It was an honest look at my life and how I had harmed her in my infidelities and lies and stealing of time and financial resources from her and my family. I induced further pain for my wife that day, but for once, she was able to participate in the relationship with full, informed consent. She knew everything, and so every day was a new beginning in living in rigorous honesty, and she could begin to judge my actions and words in light of knowing the whole truth about me. By continuing to practice rigorous honesty backed up with multiple polygraph exams now, I have begun to trust myself in my sobriety, and so has my wife. How has my life changed? Life is easier. It's a lot easier being honest. I'm happier and content, and I am not restless. Multiple fears or artificial worries have simply melted away. What do I not bother worrying or thinking about anymore? I'm not anxious about being caught anymore. This is such a relief. No more worry about who might find out. Previously, I'd always wondered what might make life better. The old grass is always greener argument looking out for what might be better or wanting more in every situation and feeling shortchanged and resentful that I didn't have this or that. I'm not worried about that anymore. The secrets I was keeping contributed to so much stress, remembering lie upon lie, trying to keep every story straight. All of this caused psychological harm for myself and physiological stress. And I'm not as stressed anymore. I'm able to fall asleep within seconds and stay asleep without awakening. I had always thought that I was unlovable, but by exposing all of my acting out behaviors to Karen and subsequently learning to feel comfortable letting Karen see all of me, I've begun to trust that she will accept and take me as I am, not as I might portray to someone or hope that she might be attracted to, but simply accept me as I am. A huge aspect in our relationship is that I really feel like I have a friend, Feeling lonely for 47 years was pretty difficult, and now I just feel lucky. I can only speak for myself and for my own experience, strength, and hope. For me, the disclosure in polygraph was the most terrifying and the most liberating thing I've ever done. The repeated polygraph exams allow for ongoing trust building and reliability in our relationship. Just like drug addicts establish their sobriety with urine tests, the polygraph exam has allowed for me to know I am clean and for my wife to know that I continue to tell the truth. It has been a powerful incentive for being truthful. It has not been a deterrent to my program. It enhances it. I am certain that without the disclosure, I could not have restored my marriage and learned how to grow in true intimacy, honesty, and joy with my wife on a daily basis. Here are the guidelines for asking questions at this meeting. If you would like to share, please come up and talk into this microphone because we are recording it. Come up ahead of your turn and make a line by sitting in that chair or on the steps. Try and be quiet so that we don't catch a lot of noise doing this walking. But please come up. When it is your turn to share, please speak directly into this microphone so that everyone can hear you. For the sake of time, please just ask the question without going into too much detailed background information. We also avoid explicit sexual descriptions and sexually abusive language. The emphasis is on honesty, recovery, and healing, and how to apply the 12 steps and 12 traditions in our daily lives. No crosstalk, please. If someone feels another is getting inappropriate, ex- explicit or is focusing excessively on the problem rather than on the solution, they may so signify by quietly raising their hand. Although this is an anonymous meeting, please remember that anonymity does not mean legal confidentiality. Please do not share any felony for which you have not been adjudicated, else we will be required to inform law officials to protect the injured. Please be mindful of what you share to not break your own or another member's anonymity. We'll also be taking online questions from uh, members across the globe, so we may take one of those questions also please come on up. Uh, there has been on previous meetings a desire that if you have five years of anonymity and you have a question to come up first. So anyone with five years that wants to comment or ask a question, please come up first. And then after that, anybody who has a year of sobriety or more. And then after that, it's open to anybody. That's how this one has been uh, set up according to the uh, committee members.
4: I'm Mike uh, Sheffield, a sexaholic, and I am very, very grateful to be a sexaholic. And by the grace of God and SA, I'm a happy sexaholic, and I've been sober since October 1999. Uh, I like this topic, disclosure issues. I don't like the last part issues because they're not issues for me right now. They were when I first, uh, met with my therapist because I did a first half inventory the following day that I got arrested for soliciting a prostitute. And I remember very clearly when I met with my therapist, he said, does your wife know yet? And I said, no. And so the, I met with him two or three days later. Same, same question, no. Next week when I met him, no, she doesn't know. And he said, don't bother coming back until you tell her. So I wrote her a letter, gave it to her on Monday night, and uh, about 11 o'clock at night with my grandson with her. And it said that I had a problem with pro- pornography, masturbation, and uh, I was arrested for soliciting a prostitute. And it was about three quarters of a page long. It took me about five times, five, five, ten times to write it. When I gave it to her and she read it, I had my bags packed in my van, expecting to be kicked out, asked to leave. She looked at me with daggers in her eyes. Uh, if you ask her, they're not, da- they weren't daggers, but for me they were. She says, okay. I want to help you get I want to help you get through this. And it just blew me away. And I wanted to say but but but. And so in my infinite quick wisdom, Mike said to her, Good, because tomorrow I'm meeting with my therapist, and I can't go see him unless you're there. <laughs> and that was awful. <laughs> that was a wrong thing to say. So the next day. He told him what was in the letter, read it to him. And and one of the things he told her, he said, when he's ready to tell you what's been going on with him, we can do it here and we'll let you know. Because she wanted to know everything that went on. And then I got involved in a couples group and some friends knew about what was going on. And uh, one of my friends in SA and one of her friends in Essanon, her and her husband said, well, we are going to have Thanksgiving dinner, which was almost uh, shortly after we got in the program. And you're coming and we're going to invite you out on a Saturday night. And you're going to disclose to everything that's going on. And my wife was not sure, but she had accepted it. And I remember meeting that night. Actually, it was almost a year and a half later. Almost a little over a year later. And I just barely finished my fifth step. Read it to my therapist. Okay. Well, I'll make this quick then. Um uh, I shared with this couple my my step, my anything that she wanted to know. And she asked me every question. I shared it honestly. And then his wife asked me a few more questions. And he did too. And I'll tell you, that was the most freeing experience I've ever had. And I've shared everything that I've done, not all the details, with my wife. And we just celebrated 45 glorious years of marriage. And that, I owe it to the God in the program. Thank you.
5: I'm recovering sex from Amsterdam, survived so right the day 16th of May, 2010. I'd like to share two stories of disclosure or two experiences. One, I think, was uh, not a good timing or not appropriate, and the other one, I think, was appropriate. Both, actually, both before I came into SA. Uh, the first one was basically when my ex-girlfriend or then-girlfriend uh, discovered some things and basically really demanded that I would tell all this time and, and be honest and, um, yeah, uh, so, well, I, I told all, <laughs> not everything, of course, i, I would keep a couple of secrets. But, uh, yeah, and that kind of calmed her down. She said she would support me uh, until I would act out again, of course, and then again and again and again and again. Uh, so that, that that didn't really help. Yeah, acting out never helps, by the way, if you wonder. Declosure or not doesn 't matter if you 're acting out nothing else to disclose or not to disclose. <laughs> you better stop acting out so that 's one story that that I think was not really helping uh The other thing was uh uh eight years ago uh I got a visit from the police and um i wasn 't arrested, but they were basically investigating me, and I was expecting a court case uh yeah and um I then decided to, to, to call my divorced parents together and, and I decided to, to tell them uh, what was going on, that I was, uh, basically, uh, yeah, that I was, uh, a sexolic and, uh, expecting a court case. And I think that's, yeah, the one, one, the one thing, I, I mean, I, I told them something that I thought would, I would take, a secret that I would take to me with, to, to, to the grave. And uh, was was extremely frightened of how they would react, and uh, I, I'm really lucky. They really re- reacted with, with love, I, and they they said something like, you know, like Marco, we, we find it horrible what uh, what what you've done, and um, but uh, you you are our son. We love you, and we will support you, uh, uh, we'll think with you uh, how how you know, to 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 support you and help you. And it was uh, my parents are not the best parents in the world, but wow, well, I can. There, there they showed their love. So that was really great. And, uh, yeah. I think that was a more appropriate moment. And, and I think the difference here is that, um, I mean, the first time was just for selfish reasons that I disclosed. I wanted just to get, kind of manipulate my girlfriend and kind of calm her down and, 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 uh, make sure that she was behind me. Uh, but it was all for me. I think the second time it was, I, I really was, I didn't want my parents to find out uh when I was basically in jail <laughs> there uh and so so i I think I really did it for them, uh so I think that was much better so uh well, thank you.
6: My name is uh, Isaac. I'm a grateful recovering sex addict. Um, God has given me six years, seven months, and 24 days of sobriety. I'm grateful for every single one of those days. You know, based on my experience, and it's amazing how much of Chris's story I, I relate to and I experience, and I'll go through some of that uh, if I have the time, is um, May 20th, 2011, I got a call From my wife saying that she knows exactly what i've been doing she had hired a private investigator and that she was divorcing me and uh you know to come home and uh you know and uh i felt a rush through me that finally all of this has been out in the open now i almost felt like the addiction rushed out of me not even knowing what i had and much like chris about a month or so later I continued to live in the house, and a month or so later my wife found a therapist in Colorado Springs, a pretty famous therapist by the name of Dr. Doug Weiss. And, you know, he did a three-day intensive with us and we brought the kids also. And his program also required a polygraph. And based on my experience, disclosure is one of the most controversial issues when it comes to sex addiction. And he is pretty adamant about giving a very general description of what we did but not anything specific and he tells the spouses that the more you know the more pain you will be in the more time will be required for you to recover and my wife accepted that so while she knew about the prostitution strip clubs massage parlors she didn't want to really know much else otherwise she just would have been in more pain to recover and that remains a controversial issue based on my experience. And there is no, I don't know if there's a right answer. I don't know if Dr. Doug Weiss has an exact answer. And a few months ago, even in my sobriety, I uh, was riding around in the park and a woman stared at me and I stared right back at her. And I actually rode around the park again and saw her and actually went up to her and gave her my phone number. And that was it as bad as that is. I didn't disclose that to my wife right away, and I went through the proper channels of my sponsor, my therapist, and the guys in my group, and told the story again and again. And nobody said to disclose that. Okay, One part I left out is, much like Chris, I've been through about ten different polygraph tests, at least, every year, uh twice a year, the first year or two, and then once a year. Um, I think it was four times the first year, every three months. And one of the questions is, have you initiated contact, and I'll finish up real quick. Have you initiated contact with a spouse, with with, with someone you of know, the opposite sex? And I had to answer, I would have had to answer yes to that. So I decided before this next polygraph test, I would have to divulge that to my, to my wife. And I told her, I said, there was inappropriate contact with a with with woman. And she got very upset, you know. Um, long story short, we were having issues for a couple of years, um, and we recently did get divorced. That was the direct point of it. And I don't know what was right or wrong. I don't have answers to that. Um, you know, so the issue is a controversial issue. I, I recommend, based on my experience, only my experience, to get professional help before any disclosure, past, present, is done. Thanks for letting me share that.
1: I hate saying this. Uh go right ahead. We we really need to wrap up. Got a quick question, please do. Yeah. I'm glad. Thank you. Marty, I'm a sexaholic
4: sober Marty. since fourth of July twenty twelve. Um, this is kind of a informal poll, but in my fellowship there's been people over the years that have come in. And contrary to what it says in caution to the newcomer, they have gone home and uh, I call it barfing all over their family, told all the details, wife, children. And, I, and my observation is that there is a hundred percent failure rate in relationships that that's happened. And my question is, is that your observation? Have you seen that
1: and uh, comments on that? I can't speak for anybody else except for my experience, Um, and so I really can't address that issue. I I can tell you that the newcomer caution is there for a reason. Um, I can also say that, uh, agreeing with the previous speaker, a therapeutic disclosure should only be done in the hands of a skilled therapist.
2: Yeah, it's like it says in the White Book. eh? and I think it's also that we work with the White Book in our meetings, so I don't have any experience to that.
1: Thank you all for coming and being here. Uh, time does require that we say uh, goodbye. In closing, anything you have heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. Remember that we never identify ourselves publicly with SA in the press, radio, TV or films. Neither does anyone speak for SA. This is an, an anonymous program. Please keep the name, address, and phone number of anyone you meet or learn about in SA to yourself. The shares we have heard here were told in confidence. Please do not repeat what you have heard about another member to anyone who was not actually here at this meeting at the time that it was shared. Please, what we say here, let us stay here when we leave here. And I think we can close with uh, the serenity prayer, if you all want to stay. Thanks, Thank you.
0: I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to the Daily Reprieve by going to Donate.